It's really good to see everybody today. I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world, but by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that does confess, that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard that is coming. And now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that scripture reading. Just a couple of housekeeping things. Um, next Sunday, starting in Sunday school, will be three weeks on the Trinity. Uh, that will be the next... Uh, where we're going into. I don't have the titles for what those will be yet, but uh, come on Sunday and you'll find out at least what the first title is going to be. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. I would like us to, as introductory material, I'd like us to turn to 1 John uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we will read through verse 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So that our joy may be made complete. Uh, the reason I read the first four verses of this is as a reminder. Expository preaching is great, but sometimes we forget what the message was about where we started from. We forget that when the church received this letter, they, it was read in its entirety to them at one sitting. That's the way they would have heard it. We preach 
by exposition here, verse by verse, uh, because there is some 2,000 years between when this letter was written and when we have received it. It was written in a language that is not our own. So we have to take our time uh, to understand the language, the culture, what was going on. And sometimes when we get deep into the exposition of the Word, we forget where we started from at the very beginning. And where we started with was Jesus. The incarnate Jesus. The Jesus that not only did they see, but they touched They heard the incarnate God on earth. And we always want to remember that. That's the way John starts this letter out. It's all about Jesus. Similarly, like Paul would say, that my only desire is to know Christ and Him crucified. This entire book is about Jesus. Never forget that. We can only understand this book when we understand it's about Jesus. So we need to be reminded of that all the time. Believers need to be reminded of the Gospel all the time. They need to be reminded of the good news of the Gospel and why it is good. I have a feeling, without taking polls, that there's many churches that are around us that are filled with people that are not believers. And I unfortunately had the feeling, based on conversations I've had with people in the past number of weeks, that many of the pulpits in these churches are filled with people that are not believers that do not know what the gospel is, that do not know the truth about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, of him taking on the sins of all who would believe so that they could be eternally joined to God in the new heaven, in the new earth. That Jesus was that sacrifice, that propitiary, substitutionary atonement, doing the thing that we could not do for ourselves. And that by his work, we were given the Holy Spirit. That when Jesus said, told the Father to send the Holy Spirit to all who would believe, that that Holy Spirit would take up enthronement in our hearts. Our previously stone-cold hearts would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to discern truth from error. But unfortunately, I believe there is a lot of error in the world and a lot of wrong thinking that is out there about who this Jesus is. John clearly speaks to us about who Jesus is. He clearly testifies about what he saw from the beginning. He testifies about what he heard from the beginning. He had intimate knowledge of what was seen on the cross. And he certainly experienced the joy of seeing the risen Christ. We've said many times, or I've said many times here, that he's an old man now. He has life experience now. His friends in the faith have all been murdered. He puts no trust in man. He puts all of his trust in Jesus. And so he writes this letter to this church, to these believers. uh, A letter of encouragement in the faith. Before he's written his Apocalypse, before he's written Revelation, um, he writes this letter. We know that it's the beginning, or we 
can see that it's the beginning of Gnosticism uh, breaking into the ancient world. That won't be fully formed for another few hundred years. Uh, but this Gnosticism, uh, let's just say it like this, very man-centered, uh, very uh, uh, taking away, uh, trying to separate out man's physicalness from his spiritualness. Uh, all sorts of things that are just non-biblical. We must always remember that our souls and our bodies are intertwined in a way that we don't understand, but God does. And I could say that with confidence because if they were not, why would we get a new body? Why would God just not bring us into a spiritual realm? Why would Jesus be uh, risen in the flesh? Because our souls and our bodies are entwined in a way that we don't quite understand. It is my hope that uh, based on, well, last week we had three things. We'll have three things here too today. and That's just the way it's broken out. Some things we can see in these passages between 1 John 4, uh, 1 through 6. My hope is that we will see how the triune God, remember we worship a God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, right? Three persons in one being. My hope is that we will see how the triune God enables believers to discern right and wrong doc doctrines and as a result, through Him, be those that are victorious over the world, those that conquer over the world. And I don't mean militarily. And conquering over the evilness of this world. Three things we're going to look through in these passages are uh, that believers must follow right doctrine, that believers have the ability and must discern true teaching, and that believers through Him are more than conquerors. When Eric read the passage today, I was struck again with the term beloved or beloved. This familiarity with John writes, but also with that familiarity of a believer to believers. Coming off the tales of many times where he said to love one another. And this is a love letter to other believers. This is a letter of great care and concern for other believers. That they might be encouraged and built up. That they will be able to stand firm until the end. We should remember then in chapter 3 verse 24 how he said the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. When we are in this, these verses, these six verses we'll talk about, we'll see the Trinity in those verses. We will see them actively working in those verses. And as John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets 
have gone out into the world. Do not just believe these things that people are saying because they are convincing, because they have a good voice, because they look good, because they act good, because they seem powerful. Don't just believe it based on what you see or hear or your emotions. Test those spirits. This term is sometimes used uh, metallurgically here. The, The testing to see what value it is that the metal is there. We can almost think back to those old Western films when somebody would throw them a gold coin and they would bite it to see if it was real. Taste and see if this is real. David would say, taste and see that God's Word is real. That it is good and that it is worthy. But test all these spirits. And when we think about it, when we think about the way this letter has been written, we say, why? He's saying this too. Because he had said earlier, many antichrists, those anti-Jesus people have gone out into the world. Many of those people that deny that Jesus came in the, in the flesh. Many people that would deny the resurrection. Many people that would deny the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have gone out into the world. There are number, a number of uh, verses leading up to this that talk about these false believers, these false teachers, these ones that have gone out from the flock. And John told them, don't worry about those that left because they were never of us. I think I said last week, remember, once saved, always saved. If somebody says to you that they were saved but they no longer believe, they were never saved. They were never believers. They were never part of the elect. Turn with me, if you would, as we think about the light and dark references that John makes. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Of course, we have John 3.16, God so loved the world. 17, God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. Verse 18, He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe in Him has been judged already because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then, importantly, verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. That light which which John testifies to in the first four verses of this letter. That light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. We recall in the beginning of this letter how he draws that contrast between light and dark. Between we should be in the light and not even tempt the dark. He has previously said how the Holy Spirit confirms to in whom we belong. The Holy Spirit testifying to the to the Holy Spirit testifying to Jesus. In chapter two, verse fourteen, it said these words: "It says, I have written to you, fathers, because you know Him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one." 
And now he's written here in verse 4 about testing the spirits to not just believe everything you hear. It's hard to get behind what it was like to live in this time, to live in the area of Ephesus, to live in the spiritual darkness that existed there, to live in the paganism and the temple worship that went on there. But this warning that John is giving is not new. Our Lord gave similar warnings. And like a good apostle, a good disciple, He's doing the same thing. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, 15. Beware, this is Jesus speaking, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Or turn to Mark chapter 13, verse 22. Mark 13.22 For false Christs that'd also be Antichrist and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. The reason I take you to the Scriptures is because that's our only source of truth. Excuse me, that's our, our only infallible and errant source of truth. Right? And I take you there because we see the example in Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Paul speaking at Berea. 10 through verse 12. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining scripture, examining the Scriptures to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Go to the Scriptures. See, don't just believe it because I'm saying it. Go to the Scriptures and see for yourself. You might have a problem with what I'm saying, but if you see the Scriptures say the same thing, then the problem is within yourself. You're not willing to bend to what God says. You see, our natural state is an inward bent to ourselves and what we desire. Our inward state is to build ourselves up. Our inward state is not to serve God. So we must be warned at all times about these things. These false teachers, as we'll see later on, will always appeal to those things that appeal to men. Those desires that appeal to men. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 30. Paul speaking again. You know, we're going to start in 25 because it's important. I've been on this one for a while, just in my own personal study. And we'll just start in verse 25. Uh, this is Paul's farewell address to the church in Ephesus, the, the area where John himself is at. Uh, he'll no longer be there. Uh, and they've, they've come from Ephesus to see Paul on his way off. And in verse 25 he says, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about 
preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Verse 27, For I do, did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Or your scripture might read, For the whole counsel of God. Ladies and men, we have a problem in the church today. We have many so-called pastors and preachers who claim to be such that are not preaching the whole counsel of God. They are the false prophets that preach a message that is not found in the Scripture. That preach the health and welfare gospel. That preach that you yourselves are gods. That deny the work of the Savior on the cross. And I warn you, I would hope that when you leave this place that you do not listen to any of those, even in radio addresses or on TV. Because if they are not preaching the whole counsel of God, they are false prophets. They will be guilty of all that they preached about. And they will face a judgment that is more severe than others on that last day. It is why I went to this passage unintentionally when I wrote this message but we must not shrink from declaring the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. We must not shrink away from declaring the cross and Jesus crucified. We must not shrink away from declaring how our sin is killing us. And without our Savior, we will be faced with eternal damnation. We must always preach this. We must always be in the state of killing the sin in our lives. And Paul then warns in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Notice what he's saying. There are those that don't, will not preach by what he said. There are those that are not preaching the whole counsel of God. And these, be on guard for yourself, for all the flock, among the Holy Spirit, whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. Teaching false doctrine, being false teachers, denying the Christ that saved you. That's what John's facing right now. That's why he writes this letter. And not only are they going to come among the flock, it says... In verse 30, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. It will happen, and it happens all the time. Part of the reason it happens is because the whole counsel of God is not preached in a church. Many places you'll go, they'll just dive into a scripture. We're going to talk about this on tithing. and We're going to talk about this on how to be a better person. And we're going to talk about how you can get along with your people or your friends at work better. And they don't talk about the state of your eternal soul. They don't talk about the Jesus who came to earth in flesh, in the flesh, as us, to be what we could not be for ourselves. And that's what he's warning about here. These are all the spirits of the evil one, as they would say, of the spirit of the air, of the devil, the ones that deny Jesus. If you remember weeks ago, if you are not in Jesus, you are in the devil. There is no middle ground. There is no part way to Jesus. There is either you are in Jesus or you are in Satan. That's what the world is. One or the other. 
Do not kid yourself on this. Beloved, we must test what we are hearing. And it's the same now. We must test what is being taught. Is what he's saying. And it's the same now. Believers are called to follow true doctrine. Stories I've heard that have come out of supposed learned people about about the Godhead, about the Trinity, about who Jesus is, is disturbing to say the least. Because guess what? Even little children can understand it. And there's men that seek to twist and pervert it at all times. So we get into verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Notice how that's why I read these first four verses. And then in verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is, all, uh, that is coming and is now already in the world. If it is not confessing the incarnate Christ, the enfleshed Jesus, the virgin birth Jesus, then they're not confessing the Jesus that will save. It's a simple test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. We can only confess that through the Holy Spirit working within us. We must be regenerated first. Our hearts made anew to be able to have faith in the enfleshed Jesus, in the incarnate Christ. That's the key to the identity that's the key to who we are found in. That's the key to who we, are, who, who we are abiding in. We would say, I would use this word, it's a German term. It's, we would say the definition of this term is the spirit of the age. You will see it bantied about by non-believers. As they'll call it zeitgeist is what it is. The spirit of the age. The thing that's compelling people right now. The thing that's driving people right now. And it's everywhere right now. Uh, it, it, is, it is emblazoned in front of us. We have whole giant theme parks built around a mouse that is denying the created order of things. We have whole movements that are built around denying the creator in saying that we ourselves are creators. That we are the ones that decide who is a man and who is a woman. That, and I mean, it's so easy to do hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars worth of surgeries and drugs and everything like that, and then you could fake it. That you are. But you can't change what God has made. We have the spirit of this age that says that a baby is not a baby. Until we think it's a baby, then it's a baby. Uh, but we can kill it at any point in time, and right now Maryland's working to the point where after birth they're going to be able to, to murder children. One of two states that's doing that. 
I believe we just celebrated a women's uh, a, a month honoring women, but we have Supreme Court judges who can't even tell us what a woman is. If you can't tell me that doesn't give the spirit of the age, then we should sit down afterwards and we'll have a long talk about what it is. We have a whole society that is built up denying the Creator. Denying God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul said in verse 17, or excuse me, Paul said in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the righteousness of God, in his, <clears throat> for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And then in verse 18 he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a whole society that is suppressing the truth. Suppressing everything that we know to be true. Asking us to believe in fantasies and myths. 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. You cannot look around this world and tell me you do not see foolishness. Everywhere. People falling, falling after their own inwardly bent heart's desire. And unfortunately, there's alleged believers and leaders who are doing the same thing. Taking the flock away from the true word. That is there. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. In 23, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This is worship of creation. This is worship of ourselves, is what is happening here. It was happening way back then. And it's still happening now. And John still has to warn them about these false teachers. And here's the test. If Jesus Christ came in the flesh, He was the one that was the substitutionary atonement for you. And not only did we see Him when He taught, we saw Him when He rose again. And we watched Him ascend in the clouds to the right hand of the Father. And you know what? We knew Stephen too. And we knew what Stephen saw when he looked up and saw the Son standing next to the Father. We know this to be true, and you must know it to be true too. Because if you change any part about that, you're not a believer. If you cannot confess that Jesus came in flesh, that He rose again from the grave, that He took upon His sins, upon Himself, for you in your stead, then you are not a believer. There is no such thing as a Jesus as a good teacher. 
And that's all he is. It is all the falseness we see promoted today. There is only one truth, and it's found in the incarnate Jesus that this entirety of this book testifies about. That's the test. In verse 4, notice how John says this. In verse 4 through 5 and 6, we'll, we'll constitute... Uh, as a grouping that we're going to do individually, but as a group together. And it says, you are from God. Reminding them, remember a letter of encouragement to the little children, he says here. Your, your Bible might be translated, little children, you are from God, or you are from God, little children. means the same thing. Don't get wrapped up on that. It's the Greek term technia for little children. It is that grandfatherly voice that, that John is speaking with that is, you can almost see them having them sit on his knee or giving them a hug. Little children, here's your reminder. You are from God. You are not like these that deny the Lord and Savior. You are not like the Antichrist that deny the Lord and Savior. He said, and have overcome them. And you have overcome them. Because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is the Holy Spirit that has taken up residence in you as a believer than anything that is in the world. Than anything that you will face. It is greater is He that is in you. Look at, Matt, uh, look at Acts chapter 10, verse 37. A lot of times we don't give the Spirit the credit He's due. Acts 10, 37 and 38. Paul speaking, or excuse me, Peter speaking. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God appointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. The Holy Spirit that descended upon our Lord incarnate is the same Holy Spirit that has taken up residence in your heart as believers. That same one that was with Jesus is the same one that is with you. The Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that will not leave you. That that Holy Spirit that is within your heart can never be removed from your heart. That Holy Spirit that is in your heart can never be removed from your heart. Once saved, always saved. That same Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of creation, Genesis chapter 1, 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Go to Psalm 33, 6. The Holy Spirit is greater in you than that which is in the world, 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their host. This reference to the Holy Spirit. You would find the same in Job chapter 26, verse 13. How the Spirit that was part of creation is the same Spirit that takes up residence in you.
Because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. This reminder that John is giving them. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. These believers in and around Ephesus that John is writing to have been born of the Spirit. They have new hearts that testify to Jesus. They have new, uh, that new residence in their body, the temple, is the Holy Spirit Himself. <coughs> it is an ongoing victory until they are in Christ's presence. Remember that. With the Holy Spirit in your heart, it is an ongoing victory in your life. You are never not victorious as a believer. You are never not victorious as a believer. Or we could say it in the positive, you are always victorious as a believer. You must remember that. You must know this because greater is He who is in you than that which is in the world. Standing against the firing squad, ready to take the bullet for what you believe, greater is He who is in you than that which is in the world. Do not be afraid of the thing that can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and the soul in eternal damnation. That spirit that was in you is the same spirit that was in the creation account. The same spirit that descended upon Jesus at the baptism. The same spirit that guided him into the desert. The same spirit that empowered him in his earthly ministry. Verse 5. They are from the world. The ones who do not believe that Jesus came in flesh. They are from the world. Therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. Three times the world is used here. Three times, as we've talked about before, as the evil system of the world that is in control of the devil. Three times he says this, they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. If what is being preached in the church is acceptable to the world, you are not at a church. You are still in the world. If what I'm saying here doesn't offend somebody who's not found in Jesus, then I'm not doing my job. I don't need to purposely offend anybody. All I have to do is preach the words of my Lord and Savior and they will be offended if they are not found in the Spirit, if they don't have the one that is greater in them than the one that is greater in the world. It is no wonder when John says this, that they are from the world, therefore they speak as the world and the world listens to them. Say the things the world wants and you'll be applauded. Say the thing the world wants and you will get your promotion. Applaud and agree to any ridiculous thing that somebody wants out there and you'll be seen as a, as a forerunner. Go get him, Tiger. Right? I mean, it is absolute madness what is being promoted out there. Yet people who are allegedly wise are doing it. Yet God did say He would use the foolish things in the world's view to shame the wise. The world affirms the wicked desires that it likes, that it desires. 
It's easy to preach a gospel, or excuse me, I don't even want to sully the name by that. It's easy to preach a message that says, I can do whatever I want and there's no consequences. You can be whoever you want to be and it doesn't matter because there's no long-term effects or anything that's going on with that. You can, you can do or say what you want because there is no God. It's easy to do that. It's hard to say that we're all sinners and we need a Savior. And without that Savior, eternal hell is on our doorfront because we have offended a righteous and a holy triune God. I know that that's true because the Scripture tells me in Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart is desperately wicked, deceitfully wicked, above all things. Who can understand it? And the exact next verse tells us that the only one who can understand it is God. That the heart wants what the heart wants. And what the heart wants without the Holy Spirit in resonance is the things that are against God. That's what John's warning them about. He'll even go back to it again in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 5. He'll say, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Remember, Jesus said, you must be born again. <coughs> Excuse me. You must have a spiritual birth, a spiritual rebirth. And then verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Romans 3, verse 13 would tell us that the ones of the world, their mouths are like open graves. And I'll take that one step further. All they do is the words that come out of their mouths is so death and destruction to everyone around them. The one that is not testifying to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as the enfleshed Christ that came to earth is one that is promoting death and destruction everywhere. Verse 6, we are from God. Notice how John has now uh, changed it from the plural you to them. He's including himself now. It says, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those that are from God can hear the message. And what I mean by that, it doesn't mean that those that are not from God, all they hear is gibberish. What I mean is those that are not from God can hear what is being said here, for example, and it would mean nothing to them. Those that are from God will hear a message like this and will say, yes, I am a sinner and I'm joyful for the salvation they had. Or, yes, I'm a sinner, I need to work on these parts of my life to, to be more sanctified. Or I'm just joyful in knowing my Lord and Savior. But the person who is not from God hears nothing of that. All they hear is ancient words written to an ancient people. They don't see the life-giving nature of it because they are, as 1 Corinthians 2.14 would say, they are natural man. Spiritual things need to be spiritually discerned. The one that lives within you is greater than the one that is in the world. The Holy Spirit within you allows you to understand these things. John chapter 16, verse 13. John 16.13, if you would turn there. Jesus speaking. about leaving. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me. For He will take of Mine 
and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that He takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit testifying to the truth that is found in Christ. Romans chapter 8 would tell us, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 37, I believe it is. Romans 8.37, I reserve the right to change that slightly when we get there. Romans 8.37. In fact, we're going to back it up to verse 31. It will end in 37. Well, it will end in 39, but 37, circle it. 31, what, should, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Jesus only able to be given over in the incarnate, as the incarnate Christ, given over to be punished on our behalf, to be the, uh, the only and the appropriate sacrifice for our sins. Right? Verse 33, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ with tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. 36, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death for all death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And He has given us the Holy Spirit we are more than conquerors now through Him. We can face anything that happens outside there in the world through Him. It might not look great to others around us, but it sure looks great to me because who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Brothers and sisters, you must believe this. You must know the One who is within you, the Holy Spirit in residence in you, is greater than anything that is in the world. That the Spirit that descended upon Jesus when He was on earth, that the Spirit that was there in creation, that the Spirit that is there actively working to hold together all of creation, is the same One that is in you right now. Greater is He who is in you than it is in the world. Through Jesus Christ, our glorious Savior, who has had the Spirit sent to us, we are permanently enjoined to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, We are already seen as being there. So, as believers with the Holy Spirit, we are able not only to follow right doctrine, but we can discern right teaching from wrong teaching. And we have overcome through Him that is greater than anything that is in the world.
we have overcome through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, who the moment that our hearts were changed has sent the Holy Spirit to us to never leave us. Remember this on your dying day, that you are not alone on that dying day. He is still with you. Our Lord is still with you. You are never alone. We have overcome this world even while we still live within this fallen and broken world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for thank you for preserving it through the ages that we might have it, that we might understand it. Thank you for all those who have brought the word to us. Thank you for all those teachers that many of us have had throughout our lives that have guided us in faith. Thank you for those family members who have just pointed us to Jesus. That, that you didn't need people of academic nature to tell us the glorious truths about Jesus. But you have used through various times and in many people's lives and our lives, family members, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, grandparents, you have used Bible teachers, friends at work, sometimes even former enemies at work, to lead us to the truth in knowing You. Please be with us throughout the rest of this day. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. If you would stand and join us as we worship through song.